Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we call upon you, since all fullness of wisdom and light is found in you, mercifully enlighten us by your Spirit and the true understanding of your word. Give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. May we be taught by your word to place our trust only in you and to serve and honor you as we ought so that we may glorify your holy name in all our living and teach our neighbor by our good example, rendering to you the love and obedience which faithful servants owe their masters and children their parents, since it has pleased you graciously to receive us among the number of your servants and children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning we're going to turn and think, put our minds on the topic of boasting. Topic of boasting. American culture likes to boast. We're a people of, yeah, we're a people of boasting. American culture with its trash talk. And vanity and narcissism and and Hollywood glamour and elite political class, the chattering class, is full of boasting. I think one could easily say that the boast is the general public posture or disposition of an American. Especially as we've been coaxed along by social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and a bunch of other social media platforms I'm not even cool enough to know about. Reddit, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's out there anymore. Um, We think of humility as weakness. And we only like the underdog when he can boast after he wins. Right? We, we mistrust the judgment of others. We are suspicious of authority. We boast, therefore, of our self-sufficiency and our abilities. We like to boast. Alexis de Tocqueville, who tried to come to an understanding of our culture and our people, you know, 
several hundred years ago, or almost several hundred years ago, in his Democracy in America, that was written in 1831, said this about men who live in a democracy. In the present age, men are not very ready to die in defense of their opinions, but they are rarely inclined to change them. And there are fewer martyrs as well as fewer apostates. Right? So no one wants to die, and no one wants to change their opinions. And that's just left the empty boast for everybody. If that was true in 1831, how much more true is it today when the most outlandish ideas can get traction in a matter of moments via our various channels of media? All I have to do is say the word vaccination. And all of us become experts with nuanced positions firmly held who will suddenly start boasting in your wealth of knowledge and your reading, your study, your experiences, your sources, and most of all, you'll boast in the decisions that you've made concerning your own children. And that's just one example. Other words that, that come to mind that would trigger your boasting uh, your boasting defense mechanism are gluten, masculinity, submissiveness, free range, decent and in order, Presbyterian, right? Home education. How those topics bring out the boast in us, how we like to let people know who we are and what we are when it comes to those areas, and there there are hundreds of others. Um, So what does it mean to boast? To boast, as as Merriam-Webster helpfully tells us, is to praise oneself extravagantly in speech or to speak of oneself with excessive pride. I mean, we hardly need a definition of boasting. We all do it, and we all know what it is, and we know when we've done it, right? Synonyms to boasting are bragging, vaunting, and crowing. That's my favorite. He just crows all the time about his own glory. Such work is not always obvious, right? Such boasting is not always obvious. Sometimes it is when when you just outright boast of some achievement or boast of some character you have, boast of the size of your financial portfolio, whatever. Um, like that Nike ad for, um, for LeBron James back a bit ago, we are all witnesses, and he's, he's got his arms spread like Jesus on the cross. We are all witnesses. Well, you know that witnesses is what the people of God are concerning Jesus. And that, that is a terrible boast. And you know LeBron James approved that advertising campaign about himself. And then, that's not enough. They put it, uh, they make a six-story spread of that thing and put it on the side of the buildings in Cleveland, right? Not anymore. The advertising campaign has changed, right? Sometimes boasting is not as obvious as a uh, 40-foot-tall poster on the side of a building. 
Sometimes simply being contrary to someone because of pride in our own position or intellect leads to leads us to be argumentative, leads us to boast. And that can be a form of what I'm talking about. Oftentimes we just sprinkle in little boasts in our speech with others, putting ourselves in the best light or making sure that others know something virtuous about us. Right? I mean, I know academia. Right? I have a terminal degree from a research, inst- a large research institution called Indiana University. And beyond that, I have another master's degree. But, but let's move on to the topic we are talking about. Right? We do things like that, and then we go on and we make our point, um, hoping the recipient of said point will, know, will now you know, bow their knees to our intellect. And sometimes our boasts come in the force, form of false humility. Right? Those times when we begin sentences with, not that I'm an expert, but... Or not that you should listen to me, but... Or I could be wrong, but... And whatever follows, you're essentially saying, I am not wrong. Sharing photos on social media where you are happy with your perfect children and being, you're being fatherly and you're engaged and you're commending your children's beauty and talent and godliness. And for one moment of that day, you weren't screaming at them because they were annoying you. You capture that one moment of familial bliss and put it up on Instagram. That's a boast. I've heard professing Christians boast about such things as their money, their jobs, their looks, their many prospects for sex when they were in high school, their athletic achievements, their family size, their conversion, their cars, their wives, their husbands, their church, their ability to drink, their ability to endure pain, I've heard, I've heard people boast of their ministry, of their wisdom, of their creativity, of their, their pens, of their phones, of their education, their books, their, their sheer quantity of books, right? their video game victories. I've heard Christians boast of their ability to enjoy wine and scotch, whatever, and on and on the list could go. In fact, there is nothing under the sun in which we won't build a boast. We are boasters. We are boasters, and our culture encourages such boasting. Think about this. Our advertising and marketing campaigns are all about supplying you with something you can boast in. Uh, Back in the 80s, Neil Postman in his book that you have to read, Amusing Ourselves to Death, said this about advertising and marketing. An American who has reached the age of 40 will have seen well over one million television commercials in his or her lifetime and has close to another million to go before the first Social Security check arrives. We may safely assume, therefore, that the television commercial has profoundly influenced American habits of thought. 
well, he didn't even know the half of it. Right? Add to that your phones and all the advertisements you receive there. Add to that the internet and all the advertisements you see. And back in 1980, all there was was the television. I mean, there weren't even, there wasn't internet, there wasn't personal computers. The television was the one source of providing people with things they could buy so that they could boast in themselves. And then I did a little uh, searching online and and came across this, uh, this little blurb about marketing that I thought was helpful for the sermon this morning. It's entitled, Why Bragging is Great for You, Why Bragging is Great for Your Marketing Strategy. Why Boasting is Great for Your Marketing Strategy. Go ahead and brag, it says, but just a little and only when appropriate. Right? Just a little and only when appropriate. That's like how we approach sin, isn't it? Right? Avoid the big sins, but you know the little ones just only when appropriate. As kids, we're all taught not to brag. That's good advice in pretty much every aspect of life, but you might want to temper it a bit when you're thinking about your marketing efforts. They can have greater impact with some well-executed bragging. Everyone should know you're great and why. Everyone should know you are great, and they should know why. Since you and your competition are trying to reach the same audience, it's vital that your message is the one your prospects notice. So brag a little. Speak boldly about what makes your brand better. And after all, no one will make you their first choice if you don't tell them why you're the best choice. Bragging, actually, it's more like being competitively honest. But it's more important they know you're not a jerk. Right? Still reading from this marketing strategy. If your bragging involves knocking the competition and belittling other brands, that'll turn your audience away. But if you brag with a unique and likable personality, a healthy dose of pride, and an easygoing confidence, your audience will pay attention to what you have to say. Plus, your professionalism and respectful attitude will win fans who may even do some bragging on your behalf. And then, it's not bragging if it's true. Which is the most absurdly stupid statement in this entire thing. If you brag about things that aren't true, you'll be called out in your competition, not to mention social media users, will have a field day at your expense. Go ahead and spread good news about your brand, share important developments and industry accolades, point out the products, services, features that make... um, that make you you, and always make sure every word is true. By the way, if you think you have nothing to brag about, dig deeper. Customers have their reasons for choosing you. You'd be out of business if they didn't, so find out why they love you and brag about that. All the salesmen in here are just flipping over in their stomachs. Strike a balance. Here's the last point. Be confident but not conceited. Flaunt your strengths and improve your weaknesses. Beat your chest a little, but don't beat up anyone else at all. Speak strongly, confidently, and briefly. Brag frequently enough so that your audience remembers you and what you stand for. And keep in mind that too much bragging will make you annoying, while too little will simply make you disappear. I mean, this... You businessmen, I mean, this is the stuff you're fed all the time. 
business strategy sam- seminars and how to market and how to promote your products. So you're fed this all the time. And of course, there is a thin line of truth that goes through all of this. Don't sell what you don't believe in, right? You, you, you want to provide a good product and you want to tell other people why it's a good product. But all of this is just how, how invasive boasting is in our lives, right? There's so much in our little marketing blurbs. It's clear the author of this blurb is trying to walk a fine line between boasting and annoying. It's like he's trying to make that popular distinction between a, a white lie and a lie, right? Which is a ridiculous distinction. But here's my point. We're a nation of boasters trained to be boasters. We want our heroes, our athletes, to boast about their abilities, to denounce their opponents in the harshest sort of language, to trash talk during the competition, and then when they win, to flex their muscles. All of which is boasting. But what of our example? What of our example, our God, our Lord Jesus Christ? Right? When, when he was falsely accused of crimes and sins, he was silent. When he had the ability to call on legions of angels to destroy those who had rest, arrest, arrested him, he didn't. When he was given the work of redeeming mankind from his father, he did not assert his equality with his father, but he emptied himself He took on the form of a slave. He was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand and knelt down before him, mocking him, he did not swing his fists. And he didn't even defend himself. Like a sheep before its shears, he was silent. He did not open his mouth. And in an extraordinary psalm, we're given a picture into the heart of of our Lord as he was dying on the cross. Psalm 22 begins with those bitter, anguished words of Jesus when he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we might expect is an expression of his bitter anger toward his enemies. Right? What we might expect while he is on the cross dying is a curse, dying as a curse, is that his meditations would be about his glory. His meditations would be about his strength. His meditations would be about his eternity and his return when he would crush all of his his and our enemies, but it's not. That's not where his mind is. Though his lips are not boasting, one would expect his thoughts to be boasting at the very least. But what are Jesus' meditations on the cross? Let's read the beginning of Psalm 22. Turn there in your Bible, Psalm 22. 
His first meditation, rather than boasting in himself and asserting his pride of position, is that his father, though he has forsaken Jesus because Jesus on the cross is all sin. His first meditation is that his father is holy. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. So though Jesus has seen and been involved in God's deliverance of Israel time and time again, he would not be delivered from death with its sting. Verse 4, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered, and you they trusted and were not disappointed. And yet, he does not fault his father, and again, he does not resort to soothing his soul by boasting even in what is true. This next statement is mind-boggling and should make us ashamed for any little boast we have ever made as sinful men and women. Psalm 22, verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. That's Jesus. Thinking that of himself. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Stop and think about those words. He is the eternally begotten second person of the Trinity. He has always been. There never was a time when he was not. Scripture attributes the very creation of the the countless galaxies that are spread through the entire universe to him and being made for him. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And by his own admission, he's a worm and not even a man. And you want credit on Twitter that you have had family devotions seven days this week? You want to boast that you have a graduate degree? You want to boast that your your daddy knew so-and-so and you've seen all the, the Marvel movies? Or you make your own yogurt? Without any genetically modified ingredients? Jesus, the eternally begotten Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the bright morning star, the Logos, the bread of life, the Prince of Peace, the great high priest, the I Am, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the light of the world, right? The resurrection and the life wheezes out in his pain that he is a worm. And not a man. The one who had every right to boast. Every boast would have been absolutely true in every respect. He could not have oversold himself. He lays his head in the dust 
is rejected by men, is mocked, and the psalm goes on to show, as the psalm goes on to show, and yet he does not resort to self-affirmation and boasting. He simply entrusts himself to God. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. I mean, this is the very epitome of Jesus not regarding equality with God, a thing to be grasped, as we are taught in the book of Philippians, right? That that God, the Son, the very very God of very God would speak of being cast upon God at his birth, and that God has been his God from his mother's womb is is earth-shatteringly humble, There was no boast in Jesus. There was no pride. No pride. He was a worm. But you, dear friends, have never been willing to concede that you are far less than a worm. We have not been willing to concede that. The most agonizing thing for for any of us is to admit our failures, right? To admit any kind of weakness, to admit our sins, to admit the very fact that we are in reality far worse than anyone even thinks of us. It's true what is said of man in Genesis 6, all of the thoughts and intents of his heart are only evil all the time. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, no, not one. And yet the one who came to save us from our death, the one who came to rescue his people from their sins, the righteous one admits he is a worm. The Corinthians were like Americans, weren't they? They had built a culture on the foundation of arrogant boasting. And the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, bursts their bubble when he makes this simple statement, a statement we should always keep in mind as we walk about this earth. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, why do you boast as if you had earned or worked it up or, or not received it but made it yourself? And the Apostle Paul, never one to leave something unclear, goes on with this contrast between the apostles and the members of the church in Corinth. You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. Right? And you, this is Paul being nasty. Indeed, I wish that you had become king so that we might also reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent. 
in Christ. We are weak, but, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we're without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless and we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. So on the side of the apostles, we're not the things that any of us want to boast about. Condemned to death, fools, weak, without honor, hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless, working with our hands, slandered, the scum of the world, the dregs of all things. Not sort of the source of where you're going to boast. There's no glory in any of those things. On the side of the Corinthians, there are those things that we like to boast about. Filled, rich, rulers, prudent, right? strong, distinguished. Those are the things we delight to make sure other people know that we are. Right? Mephibosheth, though, calls himself a dead dog before King David. Hannah sings with thanksgiving, saying, Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come forth from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. We're told this in 1 Kings 20, Let not him who girds on his armor boast like him who takes it off. Uh, we're, We're... We're putting on the armor boasters, aren't we? Here's a proverb. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. Clouds and winds without rain. They're just, they're an annoyance. They don't feed, they don't give, give water to the crops. They don't accomplish anything that you hope when the clouds come. The Lord tells Israel through Jeremiah, let now a wise man boast of his wisdom and let let not a wise, listen to this, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Right? The wise man, the one who is actually wise, is forbidden to boast in his wisdom. The Apostle Paul, echoing these words from Jeremiah, says, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Right? In other words, the Apostle Paul is willing to boast in something. He's willing to boast in a thing for which he can take absolutely no credit. His salvation by Jesus' work on the cross. 
Right? He had nothing to do with that other than supplying the sin that was necessary to be forgiven. That's it. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that he will only boast in what pertains to his weakness. In other words, even though he was wise and that wisdom was a gift of God, even though he is godly and he calls others to imitate even his godliness, even though he has done wonderful things, none of those things are his to boast about. Rather, he is, as we are, just a weak, 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 weak man. The chief of sinners, as he puts it elsewhere. He's so weak, in fact, that his only boast is that he had to have somebody else die for him so that he might be saved. He's so helpless, he's so sinful, he's so weak, he's so incapable of anything good, and whatever good he has has been a gift from God that he's received, that his only boast is this, he has a Savior in Jesus Christ. That's it. So will you continue to boast? Will we continue to boast? Right? Will we continue to to make a claim to merit? Will, will we act like the Apostle Paul before his conversion, boasting in this and that? Are we going to go on attributing glory to ourselves and our own works? Are we going to continue striving to establish our position and our worth in relation to other men especially? Do we have a claim to merit independent of God himself? The Christian will not do so. The Christian may not do so. Having, first of all, an example in Jesus of someone who did not boast and could have, in a sense. But secondly, having a proper perspective of oneself and one's work. At the end of the day, if you were to keep all of God's commandments perfectly, if you were to have devotions twice a week for month on end, if you were to control your tongue, if, if you were a woman with a gentle and quiet spirit and a man with an unwavering commitment to cultivate and keep every garden God puts you in, you know what? You would have only done what you were supposed to do. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward then you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave, because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say... We are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. I mean, that is such a deflating verse. So your only boast, dear brothers and sisters, is this. I have a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, and it is only by his work on the cross... That the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's all. 
everything else, any accomplishment you make, any progress and holiness you make, any honor that comes to you, any good grade, any new house, any new job, any wisdom, right? Any kindness you have in your heart toward others, anything under the sun was given to you as a gift, and you cannot take any credit for it. To boast in it is to betray the one boast that you actually have, the cross of Jesus Christ. To boast in anything other than the cross is to say to the world that there is some merit in something other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is, all boasting is your attempt to commend yourself before men, but ultimately before God himself. Spurgeon, preaching on Galatians 6, said the following, To be under the dominion of this present evil world is horrible. How does, how does the cross help us to escape? Why, brethren, he that has ever seen the cross looks upon the world's pomp and glory as a vain show. The pride of heraldry and the glitter of honor fade into meanness before the crucified Christ. O oh, you great ones, what are your silks and your furs and your jewelry and your gold, your stars and your garters to one who has learned to glory in Christ crucified? The old clothes which belong to the hangman are quite as precious. The world's light is darkness when the sun of righteousness shines from the tree. What care we for all the kingdoms of the world and the glory thereof when once we see the thorn-crowned Lord? There is more glory about one nail of the cross than about all the scepters of all kings. Let the knights of the golden fleece meet in chapter and all the knights of the garter stand in their stalls. And what is all their splendor? Their glories wither before the inevitable hour of doom while the glory of the cross is eternal. Everything of earth grows dull and dim when seen by cross light. So, dear brothers and sisters, cease striving. Cease striving. Cease striving and know that he is God. Put to rest your boasting. Remember that you are worse than you even know but that the Son of God died to bring you into his Father's presence. Talk of that. Boast of that. That is what it means to boast in weakness. You need saving. So boast in that and of that alone. Let's pray.